Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences. You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10. Episode number 40, the Prolific Writer Podcast. Sean Platt stops by the show. Yeah, that's Sean Platt. Let's do this. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips and advice on writing fast, writing often and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Welcome, 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 everyone. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm so glad that you have stopped by the podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, write often, and write well, or write well, often, and fast, however you see it, however you found us. If you're on the train, you're on the, the treadmill, you're, you're in the car, you're, you're with the kids, you're doing the dishes, you're listening to my voice in the earbuds, or in the toilet, or wherever you find yourself, I am so glad that you are here. We are committed to you and to help you grow and become a prolific writer. And today, I couldn't be any more excited. I know I say that every week. It gets old, I know. But but every week, it just seems to get better and better. We have the the iconic indie publisher, Sean Platt, the founder and one of the owners of Sterling and Stone. If you haven't heard about Sean Platt, go look him up and you're going to hear a marvelous, wonderful 
fantastic value-laden interview with Sean Platt. He's going to help you tremendously as he helped me tremendously just interviewing him. And I had such a, a privilege listening to Sean and his story. And he has such a great story of, of just what it means to be a prolific writer, what it means to be an indie writer, just the the hustle, the grind, the grit, uh, you know, high school dropout, working in his family business, uh, the dream to write and just really working hard and, and putting in the work and, and it's really paying off. And he, and, and the cool thing about Sean is that he really does give back and he's been giving back and him and Johnny and Dave, they've been giving back through the self-publishing podcast and through the Sterling and Stone and the great books that they write. And so I was just really privileged and humbled to have him on the show. And, and you're going to love this interview. There's so much here, so much value so much content so much inspiration so if you have a pen and pencil you have a a phone you have a a, a ipad a thingy dingy a digital device get it out because you're going to want to take notes and you're going to want to apply it to your writing to your business to the craft and so i'm really excited about this and i don't want to waste any more time i don't want to waste your time because there's so much packed into this interview and you're going to love it so with out further ado here is none other than mr sean platt well welcome everyone to the prolific writer podcast this is your host ryan j pelton and i am so privileged today to have none other than sean platt and if you don't know who sean platt is and you've been living under a rock he's the founder <laughs> of the sterling and stone story studio story studio excuse me creators of remarkable content for people who relish the art of storytelling they have six imprints, and he hails from Austin, Texas, with his wife and two children. Sean, say hello and fill in anything that I missed. Hello and fill in anything that I missed. That was like the worst well, a, ever. <laughs> I know. It's like we're in third grade. Um, I, I do have two children. They, they keep me in third grade mode, um, even though they haven't been in third grade for years. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to do. I never quite know how to, I mean, even to this day when somebody says, what do you do? It's, it's kind of hard because there's just kind of a lot that, that we do. Um, in essence, we are story studio. Uh, just, I think maybe it was this year, maybe late last year. Uh, no, it was this year. Uh, my partner, Johnny, uh, he's kind of the COO of the organization. Um, I'm the idea guy, but Really, let's be honest. Shit gets done because am I allowed to swear on here? I don't want to be. It's okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'll, I'll be. I'll be. <laughs> I'll be aware. So um, stuff doesn't get done without Johnny. Like really, uh, it, it's easy to have the ideas, um, but you have to have people around you who support those ideas and implement them. And Johnny's very good at helping me land the plane. And so he articulated. Uh, you know, if you read Rocket Fuel, the business book, it's a great book. And it really defines our relationship, which is visionary and integrator. And one of the big problems with our company for the first few years, I mean, not a problem. It, it helped us to throw a lot of things against the wall and kind of see what stuck. Uh, but we were very ready, fire, aim. <laughs> and now we're a little more measured and, and, and doing things with uh, more purpose. And that's largely due to Johnny um, and the fact that now we're mature. I mean, it's it, the company's six years old, so you grow up a lot in those first few years. And um, it's really exciting to just do whatever you want whenever you want to. But we always treated the company like we were two people. We were the entrepreneurial crazy ones. And then Dave was the 
third one. And that's really not true at all. We're very different, all three of us. And I am the idea guy, and he is the integrator, but he prefers the term articulator, which is really apt for him. And anyway, he, he finally articulated last year, what do we do at Sterling and Stone? We make stories and smart artists. And really, that is very articulate, because if you boil it down, that is everything in the company has something to do with either one of those things. So our fiction department, we tell stories. We're writing scripts. We're eventually going to make movies and TV, uh, graphic novels. We'll get into transmedia. Um, but right now, it's books. You know, We're telling a lot of stories and a lot of different ranges, and we'll be producing a lot more than we write next year. Um, and in our nonfiction side, that's the Smarter Artist. That's the summit that we hold. That's the podcast that we have. Um, that's a couple of really big initiatives that we have for next year. And that's our software that um, at the time of this recording, I don't know when this will actually air, but we're we're six days away from launching Story Shop, which has been a development for two years. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. So we do a lot, um, but it's all very exciting stuff. Well, you do a ton of stuff, that's for sure. And you've helped a ton of writers, myself included, and written hundreds of books literally and so really glad to have you on the show and what's actually really unique and, and you may not even be aware of this but uh, what's unique for you and I is that we actually grew up in the same city we are both Long Beach California Long Beach, Long Beach California <laughs> natives and uh, so uh, w- what I love about that not the fact that we you know are LBC guys but um, but that's where your story began and a lot of you might be listening, might know this, might not, but you started in working in the family business. And I know you get ribbed for that a lot because it was the flower business, but you know. Oh man, I love the flower business. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a couple of, of turns. I've had three really, I guess, careers before this one, right? This one, I wouldn't even know what you call it. It's like uh, it, 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 publishing, I guess. Um, but it feels like, it, no, it's publishing, but it feels like there's more layers to it than that. But before that I had, I was in the flower business and I grew up in the flower business, but as soon as I was of age, I legit wanted to be in the flower business. Uh, we scaled that business from the one my parents had to five at one point, uh, until I scaled too fast and had to go back down to one. <laughs> that, that was embarrassing, but it happened. Um, and then, uh, that's when I met my wife. Like I loved that business. And then we had a preschool for a while and then I was a copywriter um, for for a while, and then I just gave all that up and said I, I just wanted to do fiction. I started in Long Beach. Copywriting was in Long Beach, and Flower Shop was in Long Beach. It wasn't until um, I started fiction while living in Cincinnati, and then I moved to Austin. Uh, I don't know a few months into the full time fiction thing. Well, I find that interesting because you know we interview a lot of people, and one of the threads that I hear a lot is. You know, we, we, you may look at that. Oh well, I had this flower business. I, you know, did this and that. But we realize how much that applies to our writing, our publishing, the way we think about business. That all of it isn't wasted, um, even if you, you know, we're doing something totally different. I mean, we've had journalists on here. We've had you know newspaper writers. I mean, business people, chemists, you know, professors. Like all all these things somehow apply to the writing and publishing business. Um, w- w- you want to talk a little bit about that just because you, you've obviously had a lot of daycares, <laughs> flower shops, you know, all that, like things you've learned along the way. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm really appreciative for everything. I think that, that being not just a good artist, but a good business person really requires you to, pay attention to the world around you and never stop. Just always look, just always really breathe it in and um, 
don't take things for granted. And it's really easy to walk in a room and think there's nothing here for me, but there's always something there for you. Listen to people, like really, really listen because everybody is a ninja at something. Everybody is super, super fascinating if you give them the opportunity to be fascinating. And when you get into rooms with like really interesting people, uh, there, there is tremendous amount of opportunity for you to listen and figure out how that applies to your stories, of course. But really, how does that apply to your life? How does that apply to your business? Uh, I feel like often we go to the same watering holes. We're looking for people to validate our ideas. So we're looking at the same um, at the same watering holes where the people who have the same profession and the same way of thinking and all of that. And that doesn't help us grow. We need to go to places where there's contrast, where someone like rubs against us. And um, that doesn't mean they have to disagree, but you know, wildly different industries. So I've always really um, paid a lot of mind to going to masterminds, for example, because I want to be around really successful people who are not in my industry. <laughs> so um, so I'll go into a mastermind that has, you know, somebody who's in like manufacturing and somebody who is in like the restaurant business and all these really successful people who have wildly different businesses because that's where you see crazy intersections and you get ideas that you never would have had in any other context. That's good. So today you, it might've been today or, or maybe a few days ago, but I'm not sure, but the, the, it was kind of timely. You, you put out a video, which I really appreciate actually. And you talked a little bit about why you guys are who you are. I mean, as, as Sterling and Stone, um, you know, if you've listened to your stuff, you know, there's might be some language, there might be some broy things, but I, I loved your little video because you, you basically were defending yourself and saying, Hey, we're not here to reach everybody. We're just trying to be who we, we are now talk a little bit why that's important of just kind of embracing who you are as a writer, as an artist, as a, a business guy. Yeah. I don't think that's even important. I would say it's essential. Like, it is for me that's core because I can't operate if I'm coming to be really settled and be on the ground. So what I mean by that is I'm I'm not um, I'm not an extrovert even though I'm I'm really good at playing one. Uh, I, I'm an ambivert, which means if I'm if I'm around a lot of people, uh, I, I do have to pay an emotional tax for that. It it does it's a little hard on me, and um, so I need to feel comfortable. I can't pretend to be anyone that I'm not. I don't want to please anybody. Um, that you know, just to please them, because then it feels like work. And I strongly feel in your best creativity from a place of true authenticity. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be comfortable to create art, because I think that, like our fiction unboxed project, for example, uh, that was when we wrote a book live in 30 days, and we didn't have any, um, we didn't have a name for the book or any idea what it was going to be about. And that was scary. And that was very uncomfortable. And that's the kind of discomfort I'm okay with because it's stretching me as an artist and a thinker and putting me into an uncomfortable position. But that's different from any artifice. That's different from me having to be buttoned up and pretending to be somebody that I'm not. And it's not that I'm not capable of you know, having a conversation without swearing, you know, uh, my children didn't even know that I swore for like their first 10 years of life because they were never in context where I felt it was appropriate to swear. But around two of my best friends talking about my business, uh, you know, we're feeling especially playful. It would be weird to try not to swear when I'm talking to Johnny and Dave, like that would be weird. It would be unnatural. And I don't feel like I could be my best teacher or my best self. No, I think that's a important part of 
writing and publishing is, is learning to be yourself. Now, I think what's unique about you guys is you don't do that because you're trying to, you know, hurt other people or attack other people. I think you're just being who you, you are. And obviously that's, Oh no, I would, I would never intentionally hurt anybody. Like that's nothing that we say is ever with malice or ill intent in any way. It's just, look, we're from the very beginning. That show was always supposed to be three buddies sitting at a bar stool at the end of the week, talking about their week. (laughs) And our week just happened to include a lot of self publishing and to lose that and try to become, because there has been a push before, you know, there is a segment of the audience that, you know what, it'd be really great if you guys were just really professional and just did professional interviews and well, maybe, but that's not our show. (laughs) Like that's, that's, you're right. That sounds like an awesome show. I just don't want to do that show because for me, things have to be fun. I I feel like I'm a better educator when I'm having a good time. And I feel like despite all of our off topicness and our, you know, our puerile (laughs) senses of humor, there's gems in every episode because we are sharing from the trenches and we're doing it from a really authentic place. And we don't make money on the show. We don't even have sponsors. We got rid of um, 99designs a while ago. The show is clearly, in every way, just a gift from us to our audience. Um, you know, it, it actually costs us money significantly in management and time, um, at hard expenses in addition to time. And it's fine. Like, that's fun. But it's the end of the week. It's how we say goodbye to the week. And if that had to be something that just felt like, ugh, uh, then – I don't think that would serve us or our audience. No, I think I think that's good. You have a very clear, um, as you talk ad nauseum, you know, your why, <laughs> why, why, yes, why yes. do you do this? Why do you do that? And, and, and I think what's cool about your show and, and, you know, I've been listening for years too, is that you're inviting people into, like you said, it's just a, a couple of friends sitting around talking about what they're doing, what's working, what's not working and just doing it. Like you'd be, you know, drinking a beer or having a coffee or just hanging out. And, and it's, I like it for that because you are, you are adding a lot of value. You're not, you know, just being bro-y to be bro-y or, you know, dick jokes or whatever, but it's, it's, you're actually, um, offering a lot of good content, free content for people that are trying to write and trying to publish and run businesses and things. So, so, uh, kudos to that. So, um, so yeah, anyone listening, I mean, I think learning to just be yourself and be okay with who you are and not feel like you have to fit in some kind of box or, you know, write a certain way or be a certain way is, is really helpful. So, um, as we transition, a I, I, couple things. One, I, I love this article you wrote, and I want to kind of riff on this just a little bit. You wrote an article a little while ago about 10 steps f- to making a living as a self-published author. And uh, you talk a little bit about in that article, and we'll hit a few of these little topics, but you talk about the entrepreneur hat and the artist hat and why we need both. And um, I know that's been a thread that's kind of run through your life and business and all your experiences. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think there's fear on both sides. One is, well, I'm the pure artist and uh, I can't be a business person. I don't even know what that means. But you you really argue for if you want to be a uh, make a living as a self-published author, publisher, is that you have to learn how to kind of navigate both of those hats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's true for any creator. I don't think you can be just a creator. Um you know, I think you have to be one or, or both. Uh, have you ever seen, um, God, damn it, it's, uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, uh, but it's the documentary on Burt's Bees. Uh, no, I have not. I think I've seen uh, it on Netflix floating around, though. 
Yeah, it's it's on Netflix, and it's just like that guy is a pure artist. Like that, he just is, um, which is why he managed to lose his company for like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars before it got sold for nine hundred million. It's because he was the pure artist. He he didn't care about any of the other stuff. So that's fine. Like for 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 Bert, like dude, Bert just even the the four million that he did have, he still lived in a like a turkey shed in rural Maine. So. That money didn't matter anything to him. He didn't – that's not what drove him. What drove him was being happy. And there are, are certain people who are so purely artists that they don't need to concern themselves with monetary issues or funnels or any of that. And that's totally, totally fine. But you can't be that person and complain that you don't have sales. Like those two don't go together. You have to decide – which side of the fence you're on. Are you are you an artist who genuinely doesn't care or are you a business person who doesn't care about the art? And Or where are you in the middle? For us, we really try to balance that because of course we care about the bottom line. Now, in the past, we've been almost flippant the other way. We're not a revenue-driven company and you know, we're not going to write to market. And, and that, that's foolish too, because we spent a, a lot of years um, kind of running in circles when we didn't need to. Now we're at a, a pretty happy medium place where we can figure out, okay, well, this is a commercial hook. This is a commercial idea. Let's, let's write this to market. And then let's do this other thing just for the pure art of it. But even our pure art books, uh, for example, there's a book that Johnny and I are writing right now. Um, the, the current in production Roman Sands book is our literary book for the year. And the first one was Axis of Aaron, which we we publicly said, we don't care how this sells. Um, we just want it to be our literary book. We want it to be really good. We want it to be the best thing it's ever written. That was the only criteria. And then we followed that up with another book called Devil May Care. And Devil May Care's only mandate was it has to be better than Axis of Aaron. No sales. We didn't ta- attach any sales to the success of that book. Just as artists, do we feel that it's better than Axis of Aaron? If yes, then it's successful. So our first two books were successful based on the criteria that we gave them. We weren't um, we weren't trying to be business people with those books. We were trying to be artists. Now, with our third literary book, we found a balance. Um, we still want it to be the best book we've ever written, and that is its intent. That is its main mandate. But right behind that is we want the book to sell. And we've designed it in a way that it is both literary and hits all of our artistic aspirations for this particular project. But we're also giving it every single chance to succeed in the marketplace because after everything that we've learned in five years, after all the data that we've mined through and all of the you know endless hours that we've poured into sanding down the craft to a glassy enough finish that we know ahead of time that our chances are pretty decent if we follow these rules, why would we ignore that? So it's about growing into that space where you feel comfortable navigating between the two planes because I don't think either one – it doesn't make sense to give either one your full attention. You shouldn't be a pure mercenary businessman and you shouldn't be a pure you know, beret-wearing artist where a sacre bleu, I don't care about money. Like That doesn't make any sense. So finding that balance and doing the best thing, you know, project by project to elevate both your career and your thinking as a business person in tandem is absolutely the best way to handle your career. Well, I think there's a there's a a weird thing that's happened with business is that the, the minute we think business, we think spammy, you know, guy who's, you know, like Dave always talks about, you know, it's got an info product for $10,000 and 
you know, wants to cram it down your throat. I think that's when we think about marketing, we think about business, that's where people go and they go, well, that's going to taint my, you know, art, artist, artiste endeavors. And I can't be around that. But really, I mean, it seems like, you know, for business, we're really just talking about how do we get eyes on our work? How do we share our work? How do we, you know, say, Hey, I made this thing. Why don't you come check it out and see if you like it. It doesn't have to be pushy and scammy. And, and you know, I've never sensed that from you guys either. Um, but you've also decided, well, Hey, we can't just be purely artists too. Like we want to make a living and, and share our work and, and put stuff out there. So, um, and, and I, I like this idea of kind of building in space for, you know, your passion projects and your things that you go, you know, this is probably not going to be the most marketable thing or the most commercial thing, but it's something we really love. And we've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in it. And we're happy about it. And that's really, I think at the end of the day, that all that really matters. You have to, you have to keep it alive because otherwise it does feel like a grind. I mean, we're not pouring concrete. A lot of what we do is really, really fun. I mean, we get to make up stuff for a living. That's awesome. (laughs) But, um, as fun as it is, it still can be really hard work. I mean, we're, it's emotionally draining. We're putting ourselves on the page like that. It, it is tiring. And the things that we can do to keep our creative fires burning, um, you know, they are worth doing. That is something worth paying attention to. Uh, and, and we see it all the time. Like we see it in, in our masterminds. There's a lot of romance authors and you see that uh, a, a lot of times they get, you know, golden handcuffs where they're writing something and it's successful. They're making money every single month, every release, boom, boom, boom. It's always, always um, hitting them where it, you know, it wants to hit them. But they also feel like, oh, I got to write one of these again. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, so many of us are trying so hard to live the dream and find the dream job where we could just write for a living. And when that dream turns into another job, <laughs> that's a pretty miserable thing. So I think it is worth the time to preserve and protect that and to make sure that um, you're doing what you can to keep the thing that got you interested in the first place alive. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've interviewed at least, this is not an exaggeration, 10 people that have been handcuffed by the romance genre or some genre they hate under a pen name and they just do it because it pays a lot of money and then they just write other stuff. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I think life's too short. Right. And, and, you know, and most of them have actually shifted from that because they got to a point they're like, you know what, I'd rather make $5 doing something I love than, <laughs> you know, making a lot of money doing things I absolutely Yeah, it, it, there's just no reward there. Or, or there, no, there is a reward, but I think the tax is higher than the reward. Right. So you guys have uh, penned a book, Write, Publish, Repeat, which is a great book a few years ago. And um, really the the model for indie publishing, self-publishing, and, it, it, you know, great success and something that, you know, really, I mean, this isn't a knock on your book, but I mean, it's it's not anything that's like profound. I think it's something that um, it has been done for, for a long time, but you put words to it and you shared your experiences about that. And I want to talk a little bit about that because do you think this is still the model? I mean, this is the way, you know, if you want to make it a living as a, as a self-published fiction, independent author, you know, the right publish repeat model. And if people aren't sure, sure what that even means, please explain that. Uh, yeah, that's a really great question because yet my answer is yes and no. So I think that the right publish repeat model is absolutely the right model. And that just means you write, you um, put your book out there, you connect with an audience and you keep doing it every time. But your list gets bigger, your audience engagement gets bigger, um, your your fan base gets bigger. Because if you have 10 fans after your first book and 20 fans after your second book and you just keep doing that, pretty soon you'll have a thousand true fans. And that's enough to sustain you as an author. But 
I feel like in many ways, the right publish repeat model has been bastardized. And I feel like people are rushing to market. I feel like people are getting kind of crappy books out sometimes uh, without a lot of care. And I feel like uh, it's glutting the market with a lot of garbage. And um, and I, I think it's short term because I think that readers will catch up to that. Amazon will catch up to that. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are doing things like you know hiring ghostwriters to write a bunch of really crappy books really fast, but they have the right covers and the right product descriptions. Mm-hmm. And I think that the unfortunate thing there is that it, it really damages hardworking indie authors because it erodes buyer confidence. So if, because algorithmically you're getting served these also bots, hey, this also looks good, but it's all manipulation and you get a couple of books that way and they're just really bad recommendations, you're gonna stop trusting the engine. and. That's not fair to the people who are working hard to create really good quality books and just trying to compete. And they're not necessarily as good with, you know, spammy keywords and figuring out how to get the eyeballs. So that's something that has to transition. But I I feel like um, the model is right publish repeat because we have an ability that traditional authors don't, and that's to be pliable and to move fast. It means we can have a different relationship with our readers. It means if they want four books a year, we can serve them four books a year without just the one. And if we can, and we have the ability to, then we absolutely should. Now, should we write 15 books a year in four different pen names and just you know, crank out like rough drafts as fast as we can and just get them to market and have a this is good enough mentality. Absolutely not. I think that sucks. So when the right publish repeat model is stretched so thin that it doesn't even make sense anymore. No, I, I, I hate it. And I, I'm sad. Um, but at its best. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think it gives people like, you know, you and me a chance to um, have a life and a career that we never could have had before by articulating our our ideas and our worlds and characters that we made up out of the big blue and we could go make money on it. That's fantastic. And we do it over and over again and have exponential returns. Yeah. Awesome. All day long. Just don't be a jerk about it. Yeah, that's that's a good. Those are listening. We're, you know, and we're not talking about a you know publishing mill where you're just cranking out first drafts and throwing them on the wall and hoping they stick. It, it's it's really about I think the the mindset and it's about consistent work and good work and growing in your craft and and, and putting out things that people want to read and and not um, just you know it's not a get get rich quick thing and and I think that's important because there's a lot of people that, ha- that went that route and they're they're nowhere to be found. And, you know, no, they're creating penny stocks right? and there's no, there's just no point to it. They're, they're not creating value and they're not creating fans. Even if they get the page reads the first time, no one is saying, wow, I've never read anything like that. I have to read that author for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, then you're really just running in place mm-hmm. regardless of how big your check was that month. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So, uh, here's a, here's a question that was a little bit related to, the, the article that you wrote, um, the 10 steps to making a living as a, a self-published author, uh, a question that I think I've, I've run into doing a lot of interviews and talking to indie published, traditionally published hybrid authors. I know you guys have done both. Um, I know you talk about determining what's right for you. Um, but I want to ask a question. Is there, are we seeing a shift from traditional is beginning almost to make no sense? Um, 
just as I've talked to a lot of people, I've seen a lot of shifting happen because they just can't make a living or it's just not, not worth the, the time and effort. Um, are you seeing a shift where that's not maybe even a good option anymore? Or do you still really believe that, that we need to kind of determine what's right for us? Um, I still think people need to determine what's right for them because I know, I know a lot of people who really what they want to do is write rough drafts. Like that's it. (laughs) They just, they don't, they don't want to go through the, um, I mean a clean, clean rough draft for sure, but they don't want to go through the process of working with, um, their editor and vetting all of that and finding a cover and writing a product description and building an email list. And there, there are a lot of steps here. And I mean, I know a few writers who are fantastic writers, but like if you go look at their author page, maybe they'll have a, a series of um, five books and three of those books have like wildly different covers. <laughs> and there's just something about like they, they don't think like anything other than a writer. Right. And so for that person, they're probably going to do better with a traditional deal mm-hmm. because what they're really good at is telling a story. And that's what they're most comfortable at. And everything else is just pushing a boulder uphill. So for that person, I still think traditional is a good deal. And and right now it's in transition. But a few years from now, the people who are traditional will be really, really ready for traditional. Right now there are some people in indie who shouldn't be in indie. And there's some people in traditional who shouldn't be in traditional. I think give this in another five years as the market matures and you're going to see traditional be a home for the people who truly belong there. And indie will be the home for people who truly belong there. And that's kind of what you've seen in like in Hollywood and in music. By and large, the people who are making indie music are making indie music, and the people who are making indie movies are making indie movies, and it's a choice. And I think that um, you're gonna you're gonna see that uh, in here too. I think it, we're just a little early, and people don't quite know what they want or where to go or what their options are even. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. I think I don't know if you did. I think years ago, do you remember? Did you interview Derek Webb from Noise Trade? Um, yes. Yeah, I think so. He just came out with a like a course, um, basically how to be a he calls it like a middle class uh, musician and just kind of his career path as far as a musician. Really interesting how he's really found as a thousand true fans and loves the more kind of indie freedom that he has where he was on a label before and in a different band before and um, just found it more constrictive than being able to create the art he wanted to create, but he's making a great living. You know, again, he's not a millionaire, but he's, you know, he's doing what he loves and he's paying his bills. And um, so I think it's an interesting kind of middle. I really appreciate your corrective on that because, you know, I, I interviewed a guy who's, he's, a, he's on a small press, but he writes a book a month. Um, he makes a lot of money. Um, but he's just like, I don't want to do covers. I don't want to do blurbs. I don't, right. you know, I, I just right. don't want to market. I don't want to do any of that stuff. He's like, yeah, I could probably do fine. So, you know, indie publishing, but I think I'd lose my mind. Well, I think that, I think collaboration is the future and we're really doubling down as a company on that. And, uh, we have, we actually have a solution and we're, we're like two weeks away from it. And so I don't know when this will air and it's, probably too early to talk about right now i mean we could talk about it off air if you're curious i don't mind at all but but that is something we're trying to offer is what is that what is that solution because there's a lot of people who if they could just get help with a few things that um that traditional can handle um but make it simple for the modern indie author. I think that's a third person. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I really like the idea of catering to that person. Somebody who doesn't, I always want to help people who don't mind doing the work. I don't like 
entitlement. I don't like people who feel like they're just so talented. The world should just praise them. Like, I think that you have to pay your dues. You have to do the work. But for, for a writer who actually just wants to work hard, wants to get it done, wants to do the work, but there's just a few really hard roadblocks um, like the cover, like writing your blurb, like figuring out what your marketing plan is, and like some of the the story elements um, where you could have help along the way, but not lose out on all your royalty. I think that that that's a really really good um, solution, and we've been working hard for about seven months to really crack that code. No, that, that's that's really interesting. I, I think that's. I mean, you're you're onto something there. Um, I, I have a friend who actually was traditional and actually went to indie because he was just tired of the deadlines and just felt this pressure. You know, I got to get the next one. Out, I got this contract, and he was having some like physical problems and anxiety. and And it's funny because he's actually in that same spot. He's like, I'm indie now, but I suck at everything, and I need help, and I'm getting slower, and I just can't. You know, but he just found the traditional route not to really fit who he was. And it was just too much, you know, hey, where's that book? And, you know, and he's trying to do the best he can. And, you know, and then not even getting the marketing juice behind it, even when he was done and, and all that. So, right, 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 right. That's the thing, too. There, there's if traditional publishers kept all their promises, it'd be the perfect solution for a lot of authors. Mm-hmm. The problem is they don't. And I think actually that that will correct. I think that I think traditional publishers are terrible at what they do for the most part right now, I think they will get better. I think the market is correcting itself. I think it will take a few years, but I don't think traditional is dead. I think it's in transition because indie was born. And I think it's it's like any market. And, and to, to your earlier point, I think this is a great way to circle back. The more you understand that, like if you're used to business and seeing businesses in all different contexts, then you understand this is market correction. That's all it is. It's going to take a few years and there's going to be new industries born like collaboration for hire, for example, right? Because that's what the marketplace needs. So that's where there's always opportunity. Look at where the market's going to correct itself and then step into those um, vacancies. So um, let's, let's follow that thread as far as collaboration. Now you were, you're talking about it in a different context, but I'm talking about and with you and, and uh, Johnny and Dave, uh, so you're a collaborative writer. You've obviously written stuff by yourself on your own and they have too, but, but you, you have really formed a team and you write together. So, so talk to our, our community and our audience a little bit about that kind of the, the, what you've learned along the way, the, the challenges, but also the joys of, of really working together to kind of create stories and create art. Yeah, I wouldn't do it any other way. I wouldn't want to build a business by myself. I don't want to write a story by myself. I really, really love feeding off of other people and bouncing ideas back and forth and the sum being better than you know its parts. And I could come up with a, a pretty commercial hook and you know a, a compelling story. But when Johnny brings it to life, that's when it truly breathes. You know, um, Dave and I can kick around ideas you know, for three hours straight and, and we're giggling and how, how much fun this idea is. But until it actually gets on the page, like there's just something wonderful about living, breathing art that is born collaboratively. Uh, I really love um, scripted television. Good quality scripted television, I think is, does it, there's just so many opportunities to do amazing character work and stuff like that. And watching uh, great TV, it, it tells me that, look, <laughs> Some of the greatest shows ever, Breaking Bad episodes, were written in eight days. And they're amazing, and they're written fast because they had a room full of amazing people Mm -hmm. 
uh, brainstorming together. And so that's a huge part of what we do. That's why we're, we're having these world building um, events now where we're getting writers from our community and to write in worlds that we create, which just works for us on every level because now we're all writing in the same world. So the algorithms are going to really take care of us when it's time. You know, we're all we're all going to be tickling each other's <laughs> algorithms, and that's that's great for marketing in a very invisible way. But also, the creation process is just exponentially better. It's just more fun. We did this uh, a, a couple of months ago for this big sci-fi world that we're building, and um, we had twelve of us in the room, and just that that amount of energy is just crazy. And uh, being able, I mean, it is like a writer's room. And then we all go back and write our own books, but that kind of collaboration, it, it make it turns it into something that just quite isn't work. It's, it's fun. It's family. And it's one on, you know, one plus one equals however many you can squeeze into the bag because the ideas come fast and furious and the key to collaboration, because people ask us all the time, how do you find a great collaborator? How do you find the right person to collaborate with? Well, it's like anything else. How do you find the right wife? You know, how do you find the right partner in anything? It's the, it's the hard. Internet? Is that the answer? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, the internet worked for us. <laughs> um, but but yeah, you, you have to find the person that's right for you. And it's not somebody that you totally get along with or somebody who could do all the same things that you could do. It's someone who fits together with you like a puzzle piece. Um, you know, they're not goes in into your you know area like, um so like dave and i dirty now i'm just yeah right like i, I had to navigate around yeah, that sorry. but 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 like dave you know dave and i are very different people but we're excellent collaborators mm -hmm. and so we don't have to think the same like we approach life very differently but that's what actually makes us good collaborators because if dave just told his stories on his own they would be too pessimistic if i told them on my own they would be too optimistic. Mm -hmm. So together, they kind of create this this wonderful balance that is just dark enough with just enough light. And uh, um, and, and I think that that the work that Collective Inkwell creates is truly a reflection of our collaboration. It couldn't exist on its own. And it comes out faster than it would if I was writing it on my own or if Dave was writing it on his own and ultimately better and richer. So yeah, I, I, I am, co collaboration for me isn't just something I believe in, it's almost our religion. Like it's it's what our entire company is driven by. It's what drove Story Shop. It's, it's the core, it's the beating heart of our software. No, and I, I get the sense too. I mean, you've talked about it very specifically, like you have to kind of die to your ego. You have to be okay with correction and Hey, that's a dumb idea or no, let's go oh, over here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. It's like, you know, just like you said, a good marriage. I mean, you, you, if you never let your wife tell you you're being a moron, then you're not gonna have a good marriage. And, and if you can't speak in your wife's life, you know, you're not gonna have a healthy relationship. Um, and so I, I love that, that collaboration, um, thing that you guys are doing because it's, it's, I think it is the wave of the future. And let me ask you this though, is, have you found any, I don't want to say pushback or negatives as far as just your own career, like doing it together as a, as opposed to just being on your own. I mean, I know people, I've actually heard people say this, you know, well, the fact that, you know, there's two names on the book, you know, we don't see a lot of authors doing that. Is that a negative or have you, how have you kind of navigated that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit negative. Like book bubs, um, you know, we have to take turns because I ruin it for both Dave and Johnny. We, we can only get half as many. Uh, so, so that does suck. Johnny and Sean book, that counts. 
we can't also have a Dave and, John, and, and Sean book. Oh, okay. So that sucks. Uh, but as far as ego, n- none of us care. Like, I don't care at all. I've written a lot of books that don't have my name on it at all, uh, you know, as a ghostwriter or as a pen name. I mean, I, I did time as a ghostwriter. I've not gotten p- credit for plenty of things. That doesn't matter to me at all. I know what I've written. I know what I'm doing to build a legacy business. That's all that matters. Public perception doesn't matter to me. Um, I, it's more important to me that my partners and collaborators feel that they get the credit that they deserve. And, you know, both Johnny and Dave are not ego guys. So none of that really bothers me at all. And I don't think it bothers them. I think that Johnny and Dave are both really proud of what the name Dave and Sean means and Johnny and Sean means. They're very specific kinds of stories. And we tell our stories with a lot of intention. So um, I know that seeing David Wright and Sean Platt together means something specific. I know what that story is going to feel like. And it's very different than and something that's a Sean Platt story. Oh, that's good. I yeah, I liked your thread about uh, Sean's names together. Oh, there's a well, that's it. You know, if you see Johnny and Sean's name together, there's there's a tone that that's going to have. Mm-hmm. And so I don't feel like it, it's it's almost like it's not that we're sharing credit. It's that Johnny and Sean is almost an author. Mm-hmm. Now, is there really a Johnny and a Dave, or is that just you with three personas? Um, well, we recorded on YouTube, so I don't know how I'd pull that trip, trick okay. off, okay. but, Just, but uh, if I could, I'd be really impressed with myself. I'll, I'll check our sources. Um, I think it's good. I, I want to just for the audience, pull that thread out as far as I think a lot of people when they're looking for a collaborator is they're thinking, I need someone that sounds exactly like me that thinks like me. But what I've seen with you guys is you're really complimenting each other that Johnny's good at certain things. You're good at certain things. Dave's good at certain things. You have different ideas, but when you put it all in the blender, it actually just makes the stories that much better because you can kind of balance each other out. You can, can make stories sharper, you know, and, and, and yeah, I remember uh, years ago you were talking about how (laughs) Dave always, you know, razzes you about you suck at writing action scenes, you know, or just stuff like that. And that's just a reality. Like, you know, maybe you're better now, but, but you know, it's like, well, Dave, maybe he's better at that, or maybe he's better at dialogue, or you know, whatever. And and you you just get better from I think doing it together. Oh yeah, and and that to to your point, that ego thing is super important, and it inoculates you against the rest of the world. So um, I had uh, I went into a pitch meeting uh, a few weeks back for something that I've been working on for a, a while, and I, I was trying to get funded for. Um, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but I was in the pitch meeting and, um, and I showed, I showed the deck to, uh, the, the, you know, the person that I was trying to impress. And it's like, I don't know, uh, a, a minute out of my mouth. And he's like, dude, that is total dog shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's totally fine. Like I, I literally, I laughed. I thought that was funny because it was just like, I was talking to John or I mean, sorry, Johnny or Dave. And they're like, dude, that's dog shit because we're used to talking that way to one another. And it's not insulting. It's not like, it's just like, that's how friends talk. And then there's no artifice. There's no, like when you're in a writer's critique group and they're all trying to be nice to each other and and tiptoe around, you don't actually get to the meat starting with that big decisive. No, that doesn't work. Well, then we can figure out why it doesn't work and come up with something, you know, better that does work. And that, me is how you win better faster and so i don't want people to tell me oh well that's a pretty good idea um or that's okay and they don't really mean it they just don't want to hurt my feelings how does that help me in any way it's just 
It's just wasting time. So th- having these relationships where we're always just trying to make each other better, um, it, it really prepares me to go into the world. And the pitch meeting ended up being amazing because that no allowed us to start from total scratch and figure out what we could actually build in this context. So it ended up being a really amazing thing, but we had to start with a big decisive no. And my feelings weren't hurt at all. I was excited because I knew that I had a collaborator on the other side of that table who was going to be honest with me. And that meant we could actually get some work done. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, uh, the the whole um, critique groups and not being able to be honest, I think, is doesn't really serve anybody. I was at a writer's conference. I got invited to this conference and, you know, they put me in this room and I was looking at some manuscripts. And I'm looking at this thing. We're all looking at the same manuscript. And I'm just going, this is like the worst thing I've ever read. And people are just, you know, being so nice. I'm just like, yes, are, yes. are we reading the same thing? <laughs> like, I don't want to be a jerk, but this is awful. Anyway, um so you talk a lot about math and I love this because in your article you, you say that it's just a simple idea that, you know, you're not waiting for the muse. You're not waiting for some unicorn to come down unless it's, you know, unicorn Western, but you know, it's, it, 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 you're, you're really saying we need to get, get to work. We need to produce the work. You know, if you want to make a living, you want to do this. It's really about math. It's, it's, can we, can I produce enough books to make enough income? Talk, talk a little bit about kind of your perspective on that. Well, I think before it was always a lightning strike, right? You were you were just waiting for um, the the right book to hit the right audience, and all of a sudden you'd have to go get your umbrella because money was going to rain from the sky. But that's just not a reasonable expectation in any way, shape, or form. But saying, you know what, it's it's math. So if I've got one book, that's probably not going to feed my family. But if I have ten books and each one is doing just a tiny little bit, then Okay, that's great. If I have 100 books, um, then they're going to do that much better. And really, it's no different than if you had a successful site on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. If you had a site and you had a certain amount of traffic and every page on your site is worth money because you have an offer on that page or um, maybe you have AdSense or whatever it is, there's, there's, those are your assets. So if your page, if your website has a thousand pages and each page only makes, you know, a few cents a day, well, okay, that actually adds up if you have a thousand pages, or if it's you know, um, you know, you're you're making a dollar a page. Well, that's pretty great, you know. So it's the same thing when you have all these books. It's a catalog. You have mm-hmm. um, a full inventory, and treating it that way and thinking about it in mathematical terms. Now, again, you have to do it the right way because it's better to have ten books that people like that do moderately well than it is to have a hundred books that are just sitting there and no one cares about. So I do think quality is an issue. I think it's a variable. I think it's part of the formula. I think you have to be able to write, you have to be able to do it consistently. And so, you know, you're pleasing readers regularly over time on repeat, but your quality has to be there too. You can't just, you know, rush crap to market and think, well, I've got a thousand books in my portfolio. Like that doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. So that leads to uh, one other question, and then we'll get into just some like quick hit questions here. But email marketing. So you guys talk a lot about that, and part of it is is learning to how to nurture relationships. You talked a lot about that in this interview. Um, you know, a thousand true fans, really building an audience. You know, one by one, them getting to know you, you getting to know them, producing good work that they want to read and read all your stuff. But here's a question because I'm, I've been hearing this a lot: is is email marketing dead? 
is it is it is it starting to die? I know um, I've heard different things. You know, it's all about social media. You know, websites are dying, emails dying. No one reads their email. Um, what what's been kind of your your guys's experience with uh, as far as email marketing goes? I think when people say people say email marketing is dead every few years, and it's always ridiculous. Um, email marketing is still by far exponentially the best way to, to connect with your readers. Um, social, you're always building on someone else's platform, and and the engagement actual is pretty high on social, but not as far as following calls to action. There, it's very weak. You're talking about maybe one to three percent. So that's if you had that on an email campaign, it'd be an absolute failure. Um, no, I mean, I, I know the best people in the business, not just in writing, but in every online business and email marketing is the strongest source of income for pretty much every business. I, I can't like, to me, that's just a ludicrous statement. I don't, I don't know where to go with it, mm-hmm. No, I, but I do hear yeah. it. Like you, you, yeah. you see it all the time. Like that is, uh, it is it is a very much a, a sky is falling type of statement to mm-hmm. me. I don't know how because I also see it from authors who they don't want to build a list, mm-hmm. you know. And they're like, like, well, I don't know, email marketing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems like such a fad. Email is now fifty years old. Yeah, that's that's a long time. And as a marketing tool, you know, it's only been around about fifteen years, but it's actually stronger now than it used to be. The difference is you have to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and corporate companies are, t- I mean, like every single company that I'm on their email list, like I just signed up for, I got my, some sheets for my wife for our anniversary from Brooklyn and, and dude, you guys, you could do so much better. <laughs> like, um, Victoria's Secret, you could do better. Uh, Banana Republic, you guys, like you, whoever is in your email marketing department, fire all of them, every single one of them, fire them. Mm-hmm. And there's these companies that just do a terrible, terrible job because they don't know how to relationship build. It's basically all push marketing. They just happen to be doing it with email instead of, um, you know, junk flyers in my mailbox, but it's essentially the same thing. But if you're using email to tell stories and to build relationships, then it's the most powerful medium in the world. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, my, my email list grows daily. It's where I connect with people. It's where I sell books. I mean, I don't, it, it's kind of nonsense. I think what I'm seeing is a lot of authors and the, the reason it was a little sneaky question. Cause I have, a, I've had authors on here and I've had aspiring authors that, you know, I don't have time for email. You know, that's the last on my list. I'm just like, okay, well you're missing out. Um, is also, I think the newsletter, just the, the kind of here's my books and buy them, you know, it doesn't work. Um, I think no. th- there's gotta be, um, personality. There's gotta be talking about who you are, them actually literally getting to know you sharing things that are valuable. I think that's where people are, are losing out is they're just giving the, like you said, with the c- corporations, just mass emails, buy this crap, you know, here's a sale, you know, but it's, it's not you, it's not who you are. It's not, why should I listen? Um, it's not anything interesting. And I think even sometimes talking about things that aren't related to your books is really important. Um, you know, a lot of people build. Oh, it's essential because that's how you show people that you're a person, right? You're a, you're <laughs> right. a person. Look, if somebody signed up for your list, it's because they're interested in you as yes. an author. They don't care when your next, I mean, some of them care when your next book sure. comes out, but you can get an email from Amazon. That's not sure. the primary reason. And if it is the primary reason, then that list is going to atrophy fast. Mm-hmm. You have to give as an author, you have to give people a reason to feel or a reason to think if you're not doing one of those things, then you are failing them. And there's no reason for them to pay you with their attention. Mm-hmm. Can you, um, 
tell us on your website, your uh, little email, email cheat sheet thingy um, that you have. What's the website on there? I'll put that in the show notes because that's really helpful of like, if you're an author and you're like, how do I write these emails? What's that? Do you, do you know the page offhand? Um, I, you know what? I really should, but, um, hold on. If you keep talking, I'll just slack sure. Christine and ask her. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's on sterlingstone.net and I know I've seen it before where you guys actually write kind of, here's what you need to put in there and then, you know, just do it. And it's really helpful. I don't know if it's like sterlingstone.net slash email or free or something. Um, it, it's in there. I know people can find it. Um, so that's really good. So I'm going to um, kind of move towards these last few questions. And these are kind of um, quick hit questions. So not long answers. Um, but tell me a failure, one failure. I know there are many, but a failure. And what did you <laughs> learn? Um, let's see. A favor- I'll go with a favorite failure because, yeah, there's been a lot. Um, what would my favorite failure be? Like picking a favorite child. (laughs) Um, You know what? My favorite failure was the very first version of uh, Sterling and Stone because um, we had an idea um, like, I mean, this is right before the first episode of self-publishing podcast. So you actually hear us mention this, uh, the company Sterling and Stone in the very first episode. And, uh, but that, but that version of the company totally failed. But it, it taught me a lot of stuff. It was designed to make um, like keyword books that were nonfiction in a series. So, for example, I wrote 25 of them in a series called The Digital Writer that was like how to build a blog, um, how to yeah, write. So, so just cranking through those. And that was also where the, fir- the production model that – now, six years later, we're about to go into 2018 with a production model where we build out stories and authors you know, are, are in-house writing those stories. Well, that was born with this first version of Sterling and Stone, um, and, and the first version of The Beam was done that way. But I didn't think it was um, quality enough, so I just mm-hmm. you know, shelved it. And then when I started writing with Johnny, I'm like, hey, I got this concept, and he loved it. And so we wrote that, and I loved what he did with the beam. So that ended up, you know, coming out. Um, so I guess that first version failing, like I had a couple partners there, and just everything in my heart told me that it was wrong and that um, it, it just wasn't the right time. So we didn't go forward there, and it got resurrected, you know, about a year later with uh, Johnny and Dave, and that was just like the best thing ever. Like I, I love the company we have. <laughs> That's great. How about a software must have? Um, besides story shop, <laughs> because, um, I mean, story shop I've been using, uh, uh, for, you know, about six months now and I literally cannot work without it. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me really happy because that's why it was designed. Now I'm like, it doesn't do this. We need it to do this because I can't leave for any reason. I just, everything I want to do in the world has to do in story shop. Other than that, I'd probably say, um, Slack is, um, is a really, really essential tool. Um, it keeps me in instant communication with, um, Dave, Johnny, anyone on the team that I need to talk to without having to dip into email. Cool. How about a fiction book? And it can't be your own. Uh, lexicon. Um, I just finished lexicon. I thought it was fantastic. Um, uh, it's by, uh, Dave, no, not Dave Barry, Max Barry. And, um, uh, Johnny, uh, just 
got it for me on Audible and just sent it to me because he always tells me to read books and I say, oh, well, I'll put it on my list. And then I, you know, <laughs> I don't, don't ever really get to the books. So um, so this time he just sent it to me and said, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to read this. And he was right. I was three chapters in and it's my favorite book of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a thriller, but where the bad guy is a bad word. <laughs> like okay. it's just, it's all about language and the power of language and mm. the precision of language and wow. um, for somebody who makes their living with language it's just crack I loved it oh that sounds great how about a nonfiction book oh man I don't even know where to begin there um, maybe a recent one that you go yeah you gotta you gotta read this um oh i okay i'll give you one that is just right in line with all the stuff we're talking about uh perennial by uh perennial seller by ryan holiday oh, yeah. Um, yeah, i think i heard about that one yeah he just talks about you know building something that is actually for the h's instead mm-hmm. of just um, the penny stocks that we're talking about and why something still sells 50 years from now and i feel like that's the big thing missing in indie publishing is a lot of people are not building things for legacy they're building things for cash flow mm-hmm. and um so I really loved Perennial Seller because it's the kind of thing like it. It's exactly how I feel, and um, I loved that Ryan took the time to articulate it. That sounds great. How about this is gonna be a hard one, but maybe we'll do most recent. How about a movie? Oh um, yeah, I'll do most recent just because I just got back on, uh, from a trip and I watched this on the plane. I made sure I downloaded it on my iPad because I knew uh, Cindy probably wouldn't want to watch it, and I had read the script. And um, so I, I, I've been reading a lot of scripts in the last year, and I really like reading a script and then watching the movie. And I thought this was a great script, and the movie was fantastic. And it's a little quiet movie that most people probably have not heard of, but it's called The Invitation. Okay. And um, it's just about this uh, – obviously, a tragedy has happened a couple of years before the dinner takes place. And then there's a dinner, and these friends haven't seen each other for a couple of years, and there's weird things going on during the dinner. And – it is tense, and what it does really, really well that I think every author could learn from is deliver exposition through dialogue and all subtext. People don't say what they mean. They, there's layers under layers, and it's just kind of a beautiful composition. Cool. One, let's see, one writing process have to. So when you think about your process, this is like one thing you just have to do when you're putting words on the page. Um, be ready. Uh, be ready. Be, be prepared. Uh, don't make it up as you go along. Uh, the very best thing you can do is to um, be excited. I think writer's block comes from either not being excited about what you're writing about, not knowing what you're writing about, or um, you're just writing the wrong thing. So if you spend time in pre-production to know what you're going to write instead of showing up to the blank page, uh, you're going to be happier and more fruitful. Great. So this is our big... Final big question. I got one other one, but this is the the big writerly truth. So you're you find yourself in in Realman Sands, and there's a ancient microphone that's sitting there, and it's live and it's hot, and you have a audience of seven billion people to drop some writerly sage truth on them. What are the three truths that you'd want to drop on the world? Um, you have to do the work. No one's going to do it for you. Um, and you actually, I I take that a step further. You have to be willing to do the work. You have to want to do the work. Um, because otherwise you're just pretending and you're going to burn out fast. Like you have to know that the, um, 
actually this will be number two that it's a journey not an event it is process writing is rewriting them telling stories is something that never ends and you always pay attention there's always stuff around you and i think the the most important thing like by far here is that you really have to be willing to invest in yourself i think this is something that a lot of authors are a lot of artists period are really lacking mm-hmm. um they're not willing to invest in themselves. They're trying to scrape by on everything that they do. And that's just a long way to go about anything. For me, um, I'm always willing to, I don't, I don't mean shortcuts in the term of like, I, I want to get there going faster and I don't care, you know, but <laughs> like the scenery, like it's not about that. A shortcut for me is I want to find somebody who has done something that I've done and, um, and, and mine their knowledge. And I think a lot of people will spend hundreds and hundreds of hours of looking for free information on blogs instead of going to buy a book or um, buy a course or figure out exactly what they need to do and then do those steps to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And time is the most precious thing we have. So why somebody would – and I'm not exaggerating here. There are people who would rather spend a 100 hours looking through free blog posts Mm -hmm. in their free time than buy a $10 book. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand that. I can't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and they will say, that book is $10. Mm-hmm. But they're not valuing their time. And I think authors and artists need to value their time. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I think sometimes that's just a form of procrastination and fear. It's, <laughs> I'm going to do all these yes. things. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Work. Um, so what are you most excited? I do have that, yeah, I do have that URL for you. Okay, go for it. Um, if you want the email one, it's just sterlingandstone.net forward slash email essentials, and it'll get you all those checklists. And then there's just a general one if you want to um, get on our, our list. And uh, for any writer, I would actually recommend that just because I think we do a pretty solid job of um, of communicating in email. So anyone who thinks email is dead, sign up for the list and see mm-hmm. how you know we use it so that it's not dead. And that one is sterlingandstone.net forward slash for writers. Perfect. So what do you, I know you've got a million things going on, but what are you excited about? What are you working on right now that you're really excited about? Oh, definitely story shop. Um, and the collaboration thing I mentioned earlier, they're both, they're both going live in one way or another next week. And I, one has been in production for over two years now. And one has been production for seven months and they're both really, really big. Um, I think industry pushing ideas. Great. So is there a place where they can find Story Shop? Uh, Story Shop is at um, uh, storyshop.io. Perfect. And then where's the best place for people to find you? Um, If you just want to, sterlingandstone.net is really the best place for any writer listening to this. Well, Sean, it has been an absolute privilege and pleasure. Um, You have helped a ton of people by this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Prolific Writer Nation. Holy cow. That was amazing. Thank you, Sean Platt, for coming on the show. Go find Sean Platt at sterlingandstone.net. Go check out those resources that he mentioned. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Value-packed, laden. I just loved listening to Sean. I listened listen to his story, just the way he talks about putting on the, the artist hat, putting on the entrepreneur business had I, I love the, the things he he talked about write publish repeat the model it works 
It's putting in the work. It's putting in the time. There is no shortcuts. This is not a a get-rich scheme. This is being an artist, being a business person, hustling, pushing, grinding. So thank you, Sean, for for coming on the show. Go check out Sean and his work, his his books and Johnny's and Dave's books. You won't be disappointed. Uh, So thanks again. Hey, I know I ask this every single week, but I love hearing feedback and I love reviews on the show. So if you, if you've enjoyed this show, you've gotten something out of it and hopefully we're giving you a lot of value each week, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this Google play, we're everywhere and leave a review. We'd love to be able to get the show into more people's ears and uh, the reviews really, really help. So thank you everyone for listening. The comments, the feedback, the emails, the questions have been amazing. And we just have so many more amazing guests to come. I can't even explain how excited I am. Uh, what's coming in the next few weeks as well. They just keep popping up like it's just like magic. And, and I don't know why, but it's just amazing. So keep listening. We'll keep putting out the interviews. And I do have to say, go get those words down. Talk to you real soon.